This is episode 61 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of Senior Blitz. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode number 61. Where to begin? Um, Here's a list, a list of names for you to ponder. Roy Horn, Johnny Thompson, Norm Nielsen, Al Cohen, The Amazing Randy, Walter Blaney, David Roth, Mark Wilson, Siegfried Fischbacher, all people very prominent within the magic world. And all of them have recently passed away. And if you wonder where I've been, how come I haven't done a podcast? I I think this is the first podcast I did and uh, will have done for 2021. The reason is I'm just a little bummed out over having lost so many important people and so many friends. Um, just kind of got to the point where I didn't feel like doing the podcast anymore because um, I didn't want to start the podcast going, well, guess who died this week and guess who died this week. And I, I couldn't even keep up with it. There were so many. So I just kind of took a little break. And then um, something amazing happened. A book came in the mail um, which I had ordered, but a book came in the mail, which was the biography of my friend Danny Haney, who passed away about a, a little over a year ago, I guess. Um, or was it two years now? Gosh, I don't, uh, I don't want to think about it. But anyway, the biography came. Scott Alexander wrote the book. Reading the book was, well, let's put it this way. When it showed up at the door, I sat down, I started reading. I didn't put the book down for three days until it was finished. And then I wrote a very extensive review of the book as well. Let me just say this about the book. It's fantastic. It is wonderful. If you knew Denny, you're going to hear his voice. Because he told many of these stories, he told people over and over again. Um, And those of us that were like his students... Um, there are some stories in there that you'll, you'll remember and, but you can hear his voice throughout the whole thing. Scott did just an unbelievably great job on this book. I just can't, I can't say enough good things about it. He just did a phenomenal job capturing Denny. It was awesome. So um, here's what I want you to do. If you would go over to my blog at themagicdetective.com, I wrote a very long review over there, and you can read it and you know find out what I thought about the various chapters and so forth. To find it, when you go over there, the search engine is on the upper left-hand corner. Just type in Denny Haney, and the review will come up. And then once you finish the review, if you haven't already ordered the book, there's a link there to Scott's site where you can order a copy of the book, if you're so inclined. And I, I really would encourage you. It's a, it is a great book. Uh, not only does it cover Denny's history, but it also covers a little bit of the history of... Um, 
Magic in Baltimore during that time when Danny was coming up, and uh, they talk about performers like George Goebel and Howie Schwartzman, and it, it's really good stuff. So um, that's all I'm going to say on it right now. Great job, Scott. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. Okay. And now for the feature. Let me begin by asking you a question. Just think about this for a second. Who would you say is the world's most famous magician? Do you have a name in mind? How about the world's most popular magician? Maybe that name's different. How about the world's most copied magician? They could be three different people. could be all the same. Now, given the fact I'm asking a group of magic historians and magic fans, the answers could be all over the board. For example, if I was asking Bill Kalush, for example, he might say the most famous was Hocus Pocus. Now, I include that because I actually heard him say so in an interview. Hocus Pocus, a 17th century fellow by the name of William Vincent. Now, if I were asking our friend John Cox, he obviously would say Houdini. Others might say David Copperfield. There's no wrong answer. I think it's really up to your opinion, obviously. Um, world's most popular, probably Houdini, though Hocus Pocus again ranks up there. It's just that not that many people realize that Hocus Pocus was the name of a performer and not just a magic word. Um, then there's the world's most copied. And you, this this might be different. You might say David Blaine because he ushered in a whole new genre of street magic and everybody was copying David Blaine. Or, again, another David, David Copperfield, because, frankly, back in the 1990s, almost every illusion act you saw was a copy of David Copperfield. They took his music and his illusions and his mannerisms and his style of dress, and it was pretty embarrassing to look back on it. Not everybody did it, but a lot of people did it. Uh, and I would say probably Ricciardi is another one from the 20th century because he influenced so many people with his style. Now, uh, conversely, our brothers in the uh, close-up world brothers and sisters, pardon me, in the close-up world, might have completely different opinions. They might say Don Allen, for example, is the most copied, or Di Vernon, or Ed Marlowe. Um, what about Channing Pollock and his Dove Act? These questions lead us to a man who is largely forgotten. But in his day, he was not only the most popular, he was the most copied. And get this, no less than 11 other performers were traveling the country using his name. Now that's copying. Uh, here's a list. <laughs> this comes from his biography. And they include Senor Blitz, which was his real name. Senor Blitz Jr. Senor Blitz the Original. Senor Blitz's son. Senor Blitz's nephew. Senor Blitz the Great. Senor Blitz, the wonderful. Senor Blitz, the unrivaled. Senor Blitz, the mysterious. Senor Blitz, by purchase. That's clever. And Senor Blitz, the great original. <laughs> so our feature today is a magician named Senor Blitz. He was born Antonio Van Zant in Deal, Kent County, England, on June 21st, 1810. To give you a little bit of historical perspective, P.T. Barnum was also born 
1810. The composer Frederick Chopin was born in 1810. Francis Scott Key, who would write the Star Spangled Banner, was born in 1814, four years later. The first installment of Washington Irving's story Rip Van Winkle first appeared in a periodical in 1819. And both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were still alive in 1810. This is the world that Senor Blitz was born into. According to his own autobiography, Senor Blitz learned various tricks and things from local gypsies and eventually became quite adept at his magic. So much so that in the small village where he lived, strange things began to happen and odd occurrences. And they were all attributed to Blitz. And keep in mind, this is the early 19th century, after all. So, at the age of 13, his parents decide to send him away from home to begin his journey in life. Yes, 13 years old. To give you a bit more clarity here, people would often pass through the village where Blitz lived, and strangers would praise the young boy for his conjuring prowess and suggest to the parents that if they had such a child, they'd send him off to the bigger cities to perform and obtain wealth. Well, apparently this message sank in. And soon the 13-year-old boy was sent off to Hamburg, Germany, along with a guardian. And by his own account, he was a sensation in Hamburg. All the city was talking about that mysterious boy. And he went on tour for two years across Europe before returning home. Not every moment was sunshine and roses. There was uh, one time where he, actually more than one time, he ran into a, a cranky old doctor, Dr. Kelperstein. He was an audience member who basically poo-pooed every feat that Blitz presented. And he followed him around to various shows. So Blitz... Well, he had had enough, and he spoke to the old codger, and they instantly began to argue, each calling into question the other's character. Blitz spoke up and said, well, at least I do not carry upon my person dozens of letters from young ladies. Again, keep in mind, it's the 19th century. The proud doctor soon protested and even laughed at such a ridiculous notion so Blitz said, well, let's, uh, let's let two audience members reach into your pockets and see for themselves. The doctor wholeheartedly agreed and then was stunned when stacks and stacks of letters were pulled from each pocket. The embarrassed doctor could do nothing but flee. After two years on the road, Blitz returned home with a fair amount of money and success to his name. But tragedy was about to strike. His blessed mother died only a short time after his arriving home. She caught some fatal disease. His father apparently was lost without his wife. Six months later, young Antonio decided to leave once again for the road, along with his attendant, whose name was Gabriel. He was performing as Senor Blitz from Moravia, Germany. Now, this is interesting. In David Price's book, A Pictorial History of Magic uh, and Conjurers in the Theater, uh, it says that both father and son used the moniker Senor Blitz of Moravia. However, I, I didn't see any mention of that in Blitz's autobiography. He doesn't mention that his father was 
a magician. So, um, I and I've seen it in the research, but it's never very clear. So I'm I'm going to go with the father wasn't. Now it was time to conquer England. First stop, Dover, where even being unknown, he still did a good job filling the halls. Then he was off to Exeter and all over the island. It was on Exeter where he encountered a priest (laughs) who informed his congregation to stay away from this lad who was leading people astray. A classic case of magic is of the devil because there can be no other explanation Blitz enjoyed a little bit of fun here, too, and many of the congregation attended his shows because the warning made it sound even more interesting. But in the end, uh, it was more trouble than it was worth for Blitz, and he moved on. The Blitz show was a variety show, including magic, ventriloquism, plate spinning, which could be considered juggling, I guess, and trained birds. And Price's book points out that Blitz was also rather fond of the practical joke. One such moment was found in his autobiography. The location was in Europe at a medical theater where some doctors were going to perform an autopsy on some recently departed corpses. Imagine the look of utter shock on the doctors' and nurses' faces when the dead corpses started pleading with the doctor to go easy on them. Please, doc, don't let it hurt too much, and so forth. Then there's this story from David Price's book where Blitz came upon an apple stand and purchased an apple and cut it open and discovered a coin inside. And then he grabbed another and cut it open and another coin inside. And then he grabbed a third, cut it open, and yep, another coin. At which point he asked the person running the cart how much for the entire lot. And the fruit seller refused closed up shop, and was later seen cutting up his entire inventory, finding no coins. I have heard this same tale attributed to Panetti, Herman the Great, and even a young David Copperfield featured this bit in one of his early TV specials. This next story comes from his time in Ireland. It seems a tax collector visited Blitz's show one day, and not only did the tax collector visit, but apparently he stole a rabbit from Senor Blitz. A word of this got to uh, Senor Blitz, who went direct to the tax collector's home. And imagine this, the tax collector denied the charges of stealing the rabbit. Yet Blitz saw the bunny hopping around in another room, and he pointed it out to the man who told Blitz, no, you're mistaken. The tax collector told Blitz he purchased this rabbit some months earlier, but Blitz knew his animals, and he knew this this was indeed his. As the rabbit approached the two men, he suddenly spoke out, saying, Ryan, you are a scamp, and the Lord have mercy on your soul. Let me say that again. As the rabbit approached the two men, he, the rabbit, suddenly spoke out saying, Ryan, you are a scamp and the Lord have mercy on your soul. The confused tax collector looked around and said, who dares call me a scamp? And the rabbit yells back, I do. You know you never paid a penny for me. The two, Ryan, the tax collector, and the rabbit began to argue back and forth Ryan reached out and tried to kick the poor rabbit and told Blitz to take that demonic beast away. That's a funny story. 
Uh, given his fame, Blitz was known pretty much by everyone. And here's an incident from the life of uh, Senor Blitz. It took place in 1855 when Barnum had invited Blitz to witness the exhibition of a new invention called an annihilator, which I believe was some sort of fire extinguisher, like a high-pressure fire extinguisher. And a building was chosen that was about to be set on fire so they could demonstrate this new device. But before the fire was set, voices were heard coming from the building saying, Don't! Please let me out! Don't burn me up! And then everything stopped and the building was searched, but no one was found inside. So again, they attempted to set the building on fire. But once again, voices were heard screaming out for help. After a second search, they attempted yet again to set the building on fire. But this time, barnyard animals could be heard coming from the building. It then dawned on Barnum exactly what was going on. It was his friend Blitz creating the havoc. This story comes from the book P.T. Barnum, The Legend and the Man by A.H. Saxon. The end result was the two men having a long-standing feud. Now, while on tour in Scotland, Blitz spotted a woman among a trio of women walking along. He turned to his traveling companion and told him he would marry that woman. And within weeks, he would marry this woman. And by his own account, they had a wonderful life together. They had numerous children and lived together for some 30-odd years. She was Maria G. Blitz. She died in 1859 and is buried in the family plot. I noticed many of the stories in Blitz's autobiography, uh, he's talking more about ventriloquism than magic. And I'm wondering, where is the magic? And, well, I came across this little piece that I, I really found interesting. Blitz was performing before the Duchess of St. Albans, and he requested the Duchess to remove a card from among a pack of cards. The chosen card was then ripped up, and one piece was given back to the Duchess to hold on to. The other ripped cards were placed inside a little small wooden box. The top was closed, and almost immediately when it was opened, the card was seen to be restored with the exception of a missing piece, and that missing piece was being held by the uh, the Duchess, when the two pieces were held together, the restored card in that one, it was seen to be an exact match. But there was another twist. The card in question was a king. And the Duchess wondered out loud, shall I play a part in the beheading of the king? So I guess when you're performing before royalty, you better be careful what card they select. In 1834, Senor Blitz, who had already had a great success on the continent of Europe, decided to make a big change. He was ready to shift his attention to America. However, immediately his traveling partner and business manager, Gabriel, told Blitz he would not be going. Blitz's father was also quite upset over the idea and didn't want him to go. And many of Blitz's own friends and colleagues told Blitz, stay in Europe. America is a very dangerous place. But Senor Blitz did not listen, and he came to America. He performed all over the north and south and parts out west. A curious tale took place in Ohio. Blitz was traveling in a covered wagon, and he happened upon a town that had been recently attacked by Indians. In fact, there were daily reports of Indian raids in the area. So Blitz decided to stay put for a while, but eventually... 
Eventually, he decided he was going to leave, and with rifle in hand, he took on the wilderness and potential dangers on his own. He settled near an encampment of soldiers, which made him feel a little bit better. A good night's rest was in hand, except in the morning, he discovered a wagon wheel was missing from his wagon. He inquired with several of the farmers in the area, and they all related that it was likely the soldiers themselves who stole the wheel. They suggested he talk to the commanding officer in charge. Sure enough, Blitz made an appointment to meet with the commander. The man kind of half-heartedly listened to Blitz's story and replied, So you think my boys stole your wheel rather than stealing your horses? Very well, let's find out. So all the men were called to attention, and the commanding officer asked, Who among you stole the wheel? If you have any information, you'll get a reward. And, of course, nobody came forth, and Blitz was rather dejected. But just then, the commander was speaking in whispers to some of his men, and he turned around and once again addressed Senor Blitz. It's my understanding you are the entertainer Blitz. If you will agree to a performance for our troops, we may yet be able to locate your wheel. Well, Senor Blitz decided what does he have to lose, so... He later put on a show for the soldiers, the local farmers, and folks in the area. He was, as usual, a hit. And, as good as their word, the soldiers handed over the missing tire. Now, the next incident took place near the Summer White House. This was a house used by Abraham Lincoln during the summer months to escape the heat in Washington, D.C. Today, it's called Lincoln's Cottage. In early July 1863, President Lincoln took a break from his duties to watch a rehearsal of the upcoming 4th of July parade. Numerous people stood along the street watching the rehearsal, and in the crowd was none other than Senor Blitz. The sly magician reached out and produced a bird from the hair of one of the girls in the parade. This had the effect of stopping the parade as a number of people started to gather and watch the impromptu performance of the magician. Among his magical feats was producing an egg from the mouth of the president's son, Tad Lincoln. A fellow from the crowd formally introduced the president to the magician. Lincoln replied, Why, of course, it's Senor Blitz, one of the most famous men in America. How many children have you made happy, Senor Blitz? The magician replied, Thousands and tens of thousands. The president then said, while I fear that I have made thousands and tens of thousands unhappy. But it is for each of us to do his duty in this world, and I am trying to do mine. This exchange took place just as the Battle of Gettysburg was finishing up, and Lincoln had not yet heard the news of which side had won the battle. Now, though Blitz did tour the world with his show, it was Philadelphia that he called home. And according to his autobiography, Philadelphia became the principal depot for the sick and wounded during the Civil War. And because of this, Blitz donated his services many times to the soldiers. In his own words, my exhibitions were remarkably popular with the soldiers. Constantly, I was written to and personally solicited by the surgeons and their assistants or ladies of the committees for my services. Occasionally, some of the convalescent patients would procure permission to call and entreat me personally in behalf of his comrades to come and amuse them, a request that I am thankful I never refused.
He continues, how the poor fellows loved to laugh and drive away their pains and cares certainly appeared more of an advantage to them than medical attendance. Whenever it was known that I was to appear, unusual excitement prevailed. Men whose limbs had been amputated but a few days before, although forbidden by the physician, begged to be dressed so that they might appear. And the same was the case with the feeble and exhausted who were confined to their beds, who, when reminded of the imprudence and danger, replied, A good laugh will raise our spirits and bring about a speedy recovery. Is not laughing good for health? said one unfortunate man who lost his leg and was suffering from a gunshot wound in the arm. He reminded the surgeon that there was no medicine like laughter. Now, I've given you several examples of Blitz's ventriloquism, and they're really the old style of ventriloquism, the throwing your voice style, but it turns out that Blitz was also one of the first uh, performers to use a vent dummy. His dummy was called Bobby. He was dressed as kind of a country bumpkin, but uh, having seen a photo of uh, the dummy, I'll say for the record, this is one of the freakiest looking vents I've ever seen. Uh, but for the time, I'm sure it was cutting edge. Now, in the pages of the Conjurer's Monthly magazine, we find this unique trick attributed to Senor Blitz. The effect is, on the evening of the performance, a committee would be selected who would choose the church and state how many times the church bell would ring from that church. Blitz would then wave his wand, and at every stroke of his wand, the bell of the selected church would ring until it peeled forth the number of rings agreed upon by the committee. Now, I found this story interesting as years later, there was a claim made that Houdini had rung the bells at the Kremlin, though I believe that this uh, claim is now uh, false. But the Blitz one looks like it could be true. Imagine for a moment if you were able to talk to somebody that had actually seen Senor Blitz. Well, wasn't able to talk to this person, but I did find in the August 1909 issue of The Sphinx a recollection of Blitz by a Mr. O.R. Estes. And this is his exact uh, recollection that I saw the original Senor Blitz, but little doubt exists in my mind, for it was before the advent of so many of his imitators who assumed his name. My first opportunity of seeing him was in Boston, Massachusetts, around the year 1850. My second opportunity was in Columbus, Ohio, in January of 1861. Features of his entertainment so indelibly impressed themselves upon my young mind that I can easily recall them. Two principal features were his trained canary birds and his dancing dinner plates. In exhibiting his canaries, he used a, a long, narrow table along which the birds would travel back and forth when doing certain tricks, such as a bird drawing a miniature carriage in which uh, reposed another bird. The principal act, though, of the birds was where one would, at the command of the magician, hop onto a tiny loaded cannon, pull a lanyard, and fire the cannon where about another bird would drop and simulate death. He would be picked up by the other birds, put in a cart, and hauled away by a third canary. That's a lot of work. 
Senor Blitz's dancing dinner plates must have been the result of a lot of practice, for he would have several of them spinning on edge at the same time. One after another would lose momentum, and just as it was about to fall flat, Senor Blitz, with his deft fingers, would start it spinning again. Some spinning plates he would guide in any direction he wanted, and caused some of them to ascend and descend an inclined plane. Here are a few of the famous people who loved and adored Senor Blitz's performances. John Quincy Adams, Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, Abraham Lincoln, George Morgan, Millard Fillmore, and Martin Van Buren. Now, another one of the um, famous things in Senor Blitz's act was the bullet catch. So at this point, I must mention Houdini. <laughs> uh, who, while touring in the early part of the 20th century, began to compile notes and newspaper clippings and interviews with relatives of magicians of the past. And he was on a journey to discover the truth, or so he said. In his quest, he sought the nephew of Senor Blitz to discover if it was true that Blitz could catch a spinning bullet with his bare hands. The nephew confirmed to Houdini's delight that indeed... Senor Blitz had, in fact, caught bullets with his bare hands. Okay, so the nephew says. Now, the bullet catch is far from a simple trick, and as with uh, many other less fortunate people in the past who presented it, Blitz, too, ran into some problems. In one instance, a spectator put tacks down the barrel of the gun while Blitz was not looking. When the gun was fired, some tacks ripped the skin of his hand, and the others impaled themselves on the wall behind him. In Philadelphia, a man tried to put a brass button down the barrel. Fortunately, Blitz caught him. And then there was a time when a spectator brandished a six-shooter, proclaiming, if Blitz could catch one bullet, he should be able to catch six. And uh, it was not long after this that uh, Senor Blitz decided to remove the bullet catch from his show. Senor Blitz's home was located near Green Street and 18th Street in Philadelphia. At least that's what I found in some uh, magic history books. But leave it to Houdini and the Conjurer's Monthly Magazine to give us the exact address, 1831 Wallace Street, Philadelphia. And as it turns out, this is about a block from that intersection I just mentioned. Uh, today, unfortunately, it is an open lot called the Spring Gardens, and it appears to be an area where neighborhood families can plant vegetables and things. So Senor Blitz's house is long gone. The book Old and New Magic by Henry Ridgely Evans also points out that one of Blitz's daughters became an opera singer, gaining fame as Madame Van Zandt. However, I did a bit more research, and, uh, and I discovered that she was actually known as Madame Jenny Benzini, and it turns out that Madame Benzini also had a daughter named Marie Van Zandt, who was born in New York in 1858. In 1879, Marie made her operatic debut in a production of Mozart's Don Giovanni in Turin, Italy. She would have a very successful and busy career singing all over the globe, and in 1898, she retired from the stage when she married a Russian count. So fame continued in the Blitz family for several generations. Signor Antonio Blitz died in his home on January 28, 1877. He's buried in Cypress Hills Cemetery, Brooklyn, New York. 
He willed all his apparatus to his nephew Abraham Blitz, who was residing in Birmingham, England. This according to the Conjurer's Monthly Magazine. And I'd like to finish with um, a poem that was in Blitz's autobiography. And it goes like this. Dear Blitz, thou art the prince of fun, the very soul of wit and mirth, and the aged sire and youthful son, admit thy art and own thy worth. The mother and the child alike are moved to merriment by thee, and thus thou art a blessed scent to gladden dull humanity. How many a pleasant hour has passed beneath the magic of thy wand, and how many a snow-white egg has grown before thy wondrous sleight of hand. Thy pleasant smile, thy rapid speech, the tricks that made em cynics gay, they never failing fund of wit, oh, can they never pass away. Time has but gently touched thee yet, and though thy locks are getting gray, the eye is full of living light, the face is open as the day, God bless thee, Blitz, and when at last the sands of life are nearly done, May angels watch around thy couch to bear thee to the eternal one. This was written by his friend, Robert Morris. And that, my friends, is the story of Signor Blitz, one of the greatest performers of the 19th century. And it's really not, it, it barely touches some of the stories. Gosh, I, I, I have to be honest with you. The more research I did, I just kept finding out more and more and more things about Blitz. Of course, his autobiography is filled with stories. Um, but I've found stories that Milbourne Christopher told that I didn't include in this and, and other authors as well. I just tried to pick some of the, the more interesting stories to share with you and just show you what kind of performer he was. You know, he was a very cheerful, happy performer, a variety performer. Um, he excelled in his ventriloquism, but he was a wonderful magician. And wow, how cool it would have been to see Senor Blitz in action. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. And yes, the Magic Detective Podcast is back and I will have uh, more frequent <laughs> more frequent episodes coming up. Uh, if you did like the podcast, do me a favor and like the podcast, which means if there's a button there that says like or thumbs up or five stars or whatever, click that. Um, iTunes has changed. Uh, the latest update of iTunes on the computer is no, they no longer have iTunes, but they do have something there. I forget what they're calling it now. And you, but you can go into um, the podcast mode and still leave a five star review uh, if you're so willing to do so, if you enjoy the podcasts. Uh, we're going to have some great ones this year in 2021. And I do have some interviews lined up as well. So I think you'll see some. A little few changes with the Magic Detective podcast that you will enjoy. And until next time, my friends, I am Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Please be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> <laughs>